Hello and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast presented on the Chop Sports channel of the Premier Streaming Network. We are recording this on August 20th, 2020. I am your host, Laurent Cortines. In this episode, Chelsea sputter in again in London. The Ten Hog Evolution meets the Ange Ball Revolution, and we talk some early themes of the Premier League season. But first, City dispatched their first challenger in Newcastle United. But before we get to that, please like share and subscribe to the show like share and subscribe to the show like share and subscribe to the show and don't forget to uh find us on top fc news along with chris on youtube we are everywhere we are making things happen and let us get to it newcastle versus manchester united Versus Newcastle United, excuse me. Doesn't New, doesn't Manchester United wish <laughs> they were in that spot? Um, just a really, really good classic game. Uh, City controlled most of it. And I think um, fundamentally I was surprised by how little... Newcastle trusted themselves to be challengers. I think uh, in listening to Chris as we did the, the live stream of the game and then watching True Jordy on his show talk about uh, what he thought about uh, how Newcastle approached the game, they gave too much to City and did not do the things that make Newcastle who they are. They didn't get in City's face. They didn't knock guys down they didn't do any of the things that they wanted to do yes they had the structure of the press they had the structure of trying to get in city's face but it didn't seem that they had that extra yard and that extra effort of fight to try and really disrupt city when city get disrupted it's when teams do things they're not expecting they man mark them or they 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 sit really deep and then hit on the counter or someone like um, Brentford who are very, very physical, but also sit very deep. So I didn't see that from Newcastle. They did do their thing. They were very much like the second Arsenal game, if you will, where Arsenal came and really tried to press City and City found a way by going route one, long balls over the top, long balls through the midfield. It's just overriding the press entirely and then turning and getting at the defense. I can't tell you how many times Phil Foden came in off the wing, popped in behind the, the midfield line press of Gimaresh and Tonali, and he was just there on his own. And the, the defensive line could not follow him because then they would have left Holland one-on-one. So Foden had an incredible game, a man in a match game, a, coming out game a game we knew he had in him but we weren't sure we were all concerned about whether Kevin De Bruyne or what would happen or if there would be issues or there would be problems or how where would the creativity come from or any of those things just went away immediately once we were like oh Phil Foden will just do that um so just an amazing performance all around from City uh that's just my initial take and then a little bit of a disappointment in like I said in in Newcastle who just never really threatened at all I mean I don't I can't think of 
a moment where they were really on top or had City on the ropes or anything. Uh, Bruno had a couple shots here and there. Uh, Almiron got on the wing a couple times, but seemed tentative and afraid to attack Akanji, afraid to attack Gvardiol, who was playing in the fullback position, and just afraid in general. They weren't ready for the moment. Um, and I think that uh, True Jordy and, and Chris in the live stream made two really good points. And I think this goes back to the old school saying that if you remember from Manchester City, uh, Pellegrini used to use this word. It's a, it's a Latin American word, and it's they don't have a crack. That's what they're missing. Uh, Bruno thinks he's that. Tonelli is 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 a high level player, but a real a personality, a winner, uh, a a doer, a superstar, something that lifts teams in the moment that says, "I belong here. We're winning this goddamn game." I guess in some sense, what Jude Bellingham is has already become at Real Madrid, already had, or you could sense you you as Pep Guardiola says this a lot. You have to smell it. You have to smell the the kind of desire. And and I don't think there's that player yet in Newcastle. They gave too much respect and maybe they'll grow. They've been great. They've been fantastic. It's not a bad performance at all from Newcastle's perspective, but they did not impose their force or what, what was in them. They didn't have a mentality that they went to the game to win. They didn't think they could win. You could sense it throughout the team. They, I don't think they honestly believe they were ready for the challenge of Manchester City. And City did not, obviously, not have their players. I mean, uh, City's back line was, was Gvardiol and Ruben Diaz with Akanji and Walker. That's a group that's never played together. Rodri, we know. But Kovacic playing in the midfield and is only his second game with uh, um, Julian Alvarez as as is in, in the middle of a, of a three behind Holland. So a weird team. Grealish is still not really creating. He's kind of not making enough offense. He's doing his offensive thing. He's doing his work. He's doing his, his Pausa thing on the wing where he sits in the corner and kind of has the ball. But he hasn't provided any service to Holland. But it was all Foden. Foden and Holland just connecting the whole time. And Holland had a terrible game. Really, really bad game. He Phil Foden put him in at least four times that I can think of. If I look here at the stats, uh, if I go to to um to look at Phil Foden, nine shot creating actions that he was a part of. Nine. That's a tremendous amount of time on the ball, making things happen. Led the team in progressive passes, just successful take-ons, just created the most out of all the players on the team. And he did uh, set up Julian Alvarez's goal uh, on a nice, on an amazing, the pass from Kovacic, the reverse ball into, fired it in, into Foden, who had peeled off into the box on the other side. But then another reverse pass into into Alvarez, who then takes a one-time top bin shot. It's just pure class goal. Uh, no right to score that goal, but <laughs> we did. Uh, and City really cruised. There was really no threat from uh, Newcastle. If I can look through all the shots, Gordon had a shot that was off target. Uh, Harvey Barnes forced the only save that uh, was that happened. Uh, only one shot on target the whole game for Newcastle. So just really nothing happening there. Um, just kind of a limp performance, despite all the changes, despite um, Callum Wilson coming on and having a really good chance that got blocked before he could even get the shot off by, um, I don't remember who it was. Maybe it was Vardiol had a couple good blocks. But yeah, easy game. Um, 
easy game. And what it says to me about City is they're so, so strong. I I, I discount my own team all the time because I just think it can't be sustained. How can they possibly do this? And yet they do it again. Yet they they go to Holland and Holland's there. Yet they go they go to Foden and Foden is just like, oh, I have responsibility. I've been dying for this responsibility. No one shrieks from the moment. They all elevate themselves to the moment. Uh, and then in, in, in Alvarez, you have a killer. You really do. He runs all day, all day. And he's a great finisher. I like to sort of describe City's changes as replacing Aguero and Sterling, or sorry, Aguero, sorry, Sterling and, and Gabriel Jesus with Holland and Alvarez, which is like an elevated level of like almost 100% better. Um, Sterling was great at what he did, but you can see when we get to the Chelsea game, he is very one-dimensional and doesn't finish. And Jesus was also a runner who couldn't finish. So we replaced these two active, strong force players that City had over the last two years and have replaced them with killers who just want to score goals and do because they're great finishers. So City, 2-0, four goals, four, offense not clicking, players missing, still trying to figure things out, have yet to give up a goal. Now, it was Burnley, but this performance against Newcastle was really a statement performance that says, you know what? Sit back down. Let, the big boys are still here. So that's City, 2-0, uh, and and moving quickly through the gears. Um, the other game that I'd like to get to before we get to Chelsea is the our other friends in Manchester, Mr. Manchester United's trip down to Tottenham uh, at the Tottenham Stadium. A really good game, a really interesting game that juxtaposes two managers in charge. We've now had, this is the beginning of Ten Hag's second season, last season, his first two games were really poor. If you remember, he got blown, the doors blown off them by Brentford uh, before Casemiro came. Um, and now he's had two bad games to start this season with um, the Wolves game and the uh, where they should have lost, or at least drew. And now this Spurs game that they lost, which they probably should have drawn. Let me be completely fair about the first half from United. It was very, very good. They had very good chances um, just to give Fernandez missed a sitter, um, Rashford missed a heading sitter. So two that were surefire goals if if they had a killer instinct. Um, Anthony hit the bar. So I think, and they had a really good penalty shout that in other days might be a penalty. I mean, where, regardless of where it was. But I think the difference you're seeing is, and then from the Spurs perspective, uh, the difference you're seeing is, is Postacoglu has come in and transformed Spurs into something completely different than what they were with cohesion. And that's where I want to juxtapose us with, with United. United still has no cohesion. They're not connected to each other at all. They seem to play slowly. They seem to play without connectivity, without pace, without understanding of each other, without conviction of where the next pass is to go, without what they want to do next. Um, it's very strange that this coach, Ten Hag, who, you know, by all, all intents and purposes, is a good coach. And we've said it a million times before. Last season was a great season for them. They really did great work. And I and I would applaud Ten Hag. I, I mean, I have a million times. But the underlying problems that they have are still there. 
they still can't score or create chances. This was a middle-of-the-table team in terms of scoring, and they're still middle-of-the-table, not converting their XG. They're already behind in their XG conversion because they're missing their striker. And even when they get their striker, uh, Holberg, Holberg, Hoiberg, no, not Hoiberg. Oh, I don't know. There's Holland, Hoiberg, Holland, Hoyland, Hoyland, Hoyland. He's only 20. He's had one season in Syria A and scored nine goals. So they're hanging their season on this guy. Uh, very interesting uh, from the United perspective. Yeah, like I said, they're underperforming their XG already. So very strange for United. The other one is uh, on the Spurs side. What a change. What a change. Uh, first half hour of the game, they really couldn't get connected. They really were having a hard time dealing with United's sort of moments and pace. Kind of were odd to be there. A lot of 20-year-olds, a lot of young kids playing in the team. Uh, uh, Papa Sar was in, who was really good. He took the replace of Skip, which made a difference because I don't know if Skip is the type of player you want in an offensive position, but they got her about the pitch. Basuma backed up his first game with another good game. I really love Basuma. I've always loved Basuma. Do you notice the trend? These players from Brighton are really, really good. They were really trained well. <laughs> they know how to find people. If you want to find a player, go find one from Brighton. But uh, yeah, in the first half, you know, it was all United. The first five or six, the first six shots of the game came from United before Saar took a shot on 16. Then there was the next shot from Spurs was Kulishevsky on 25. So the first half was completely dominant by United and they were hard done and probably should have had a goal for sure. Uh, had to make, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Vicario had to make four saves in the first half alone. And the Marcus Rashford one was a was a 100% goal that should have happened, and he missed. Um, but as the half got to the end, Tottenham did grow into the game. Pedro Paro hitting the woodwork, Kulishevsky getting his shot saved, and Spurs were able to take that momentum into the second half, and the second half was all Spurs. Uh, United didn't do anything until, didn't have their uh, next shot on target until 56, the header by Casemiro, uh, and you know it was really... A really a masterclass of a team growing into itself, growing into confidence. And if I can't tell you, I giggled as I watched Spurs, just going from where they were with um with Conte and Mourinho to where they are now, just an unbelievable transformation. I think it's the transformation that United fans thought they were getting with Ten Hag. I mean. Just through the team, Saar was incredible getting on the ball. Basuma on the ball. Madison all over the ball. Sun was the only weak link. Richarlison had a bad game, but the midfield of Spurs just completely controlled the game along with Destiny Ukogi, who's kind of playing in the midfield. Uh, I would give some shout out to Van de Ven and Romero, who were on their own a lot, had to do whatever they could, and the goalkeeper, Guglielmo Vicaro. So Spurs will do better defensively and they probably should feel happy about the result, but a draw would have been even a two, two draw would have been a fair result. But SARS goal was taken really well after running through the entire midfield, no United player picked him up. And then the second goal, the uh, an own goal by Lissandra Martinez, it was really a Ben Davies kind of flicked it, but that had been through a five minute period where 
Spurs were just knocking the ball around. There was a moment where they're knocking around the ball around the edge and Sonny's dancing around in a box, trying to find room for a shot, laying it off, heel, back heels. They were just playing through United as though they weren't there. And I have to say that I am in love with this Postacoglu thing. It feels like something. You know how you know when you feel a thing that's a thing? Uh, I, I feel something has happened with Spurs. They're exciting. It's trouble. It's chaotic. It's going to be madness. So we lose a dark arts team and we gain the light and we have more and more teams from the light in the premier league, which should hopefully make for better teams. The funny thing is, is that uh, as I talk about my beloved Manchester city, we're kind of one of the darker teams now We're yes, we play, but it's very possession based. It's very defense driven. Yes. City score goals and people are going to laugh at me, but it's much more pragmatic. A lot of long balls, a lot of, back fours with four six foot four defenders even in the back even in the fullback position so city are actually defensive and no one knows it but they are which is pretty funny uh even though holland scored all his goals it's not mixed through the whole team anymore it's just holland so we're very much an old school kind of english team whereas the rest of the league is trying to like be pep from three years ago which is pretty funny uh interesting game enjoyed that for tottenham and united not sure where united go from here i'm sure they'll be fine um United had a really good record against bad teams where they could play their stuff and their midfield didn't get exposed. But right now, the Mason Mount, Casemiro, Fernandez midfield is not working. Uh, again, they're trying to find balance. Like I talked about on several other pods, it's just they don't seem to have players who can do more than one thing. They're very much a, oh, if we play Wambasaka, we defend really well but can't attack. If we play with Erickson and Fernandez, we can't defend the midfield. If we play with McTominay, we can't get the ball through the midfield. We can only sit back. So they're trying to find that balance, and I don't think they have that player that can do it. I think they thought Mason Mount would be that player, but so far it's not quite working. And the wingers are bad. Uh, Garnacho's too young, even though I like him. He's more of an off-the-bench guy. And Anthony's a disaster. He's just bad all the time. So I don't know what United do there. I would go Sancho and Mount and play with Erickson, Fernandez, and Casemiro and see how that goes, just to mix it up, just because what they're doing right now isn't working. Okay, let us move on to bigger, better, and badder things. Uh, talk through um, the West Ham Caicedo debut, and then we'll get on to Liverpool. So... It was a good game today, I thought. Uh, West Ham hosting um, Chelsea. Chelsea are very much a work in progress. They're still trying to possess the ball, uh, still having problems figuring out who they are. Uh, they kind of don't know who they are. And when you play a team like West Ham, who are so connected to each other, I think is the big thing. That West Ham unit is very linked together. They have a full European campaign. They have a couple years with Moyes. He doesn't really change out the squad. It's very connected to each other. As much as we may not like the style that um, West Ham play, they know how to play it. They know their roles. They know where the ball's going to go. They know who's responsible for what. And as a unit, West Ham showed that a unit that is willing to work and graft for each other and see through moments and keep fighting and pressing and going and going and going can beat and overtake a team with more talent because the Spurs, the Chelsea team does not have connectivity with each other because how would they 
One, the players are all very young. I think their average age is still just 24 years old. And many of the players have never played with each other. So they're trying to get where they want to go without really any cohesion with each other. And I think after the Liverpool game, where I thought Chelsea were fantastic uh, and had a nice draw, to be fair, uh, this was a step back. And I think to be expected, I think with a young team, with a lot of new players, inconsistency is probably going to be the watchword for um, for Chelsea. Uh, I thought, I think they'll get through it. I think the first half of the first half of the season will be tough. So let's say if it's 19 games, this first nine, eight, nine games is going to be tough and we'll see them getting better as they get more time together. But this is a setback for Chelsea. I think that it gives them a sense of, hey, where are we? Hey, this is West Ham. Chelsea fans expect a, a London Derby to be more. And I don't think that the players really took that on or were able to get the sense from the crowd that this was a big game. The West Ham players knew it was. The West Ham play no new East-West, new Intercity versus Chelsea Headhunters. This is history. This is a real old school London brawl. And and West Ham treated it that way uh, while, while Chelsea did not. Just from a, um, a game perspective, uh, the first goal comes from a Gaird on a cross. James Ward-Prowse going to West Ham is chef's kiss. Perfect player for this team, controlling the game. Lethal, lethal, lethal on set pieces. Just right on the head. Boom, Aguirre puts it in. Just a fantastic cross. Um, Chelsea make a mistake. They're zonal marking. They sort of all go ball watching. The whole line shifts the other way. And poor um, poor Gallagher is trying to trying to muscle off Aguirre, who's like six foot five. He just goes in the air, puts it in. No problem there. Um, then the next goal comes from, oh God, what was the next goal? Oh, Chukwameka, who really nice goal, takes it on the inside, slides past Suscheck, fires it, top bins, and you have a 1-1 game. Things are looking good for the great and powerful Chelsea. Second half, no bueno, no bueno. Uh, ball over the top, who else but Antonio? Bulldozes through, uh, defenders not getting tight enough. Not understanding Tiago Silva's age showing. He just kind of gets knocked off the ball and Antonio finishes it. West Ham are up 2-1. They're feeling good. Then about 15 minutes after that, 10 minutes after that, Aguirre gets a silly, like, what are you thinking? Second yellow, which allows for West Ham to be down a man. I mean, yeah, West Ham are down a man. And Chelsea basically spend the last half hour of the game trying to attack, trying to find cohesion, but they're crossing the ball into the back, into the box. And and West Ham are like, you you want to play our game against us? We This is us. We do this. So you had uh, Zuma heading everything away, a guard before he got off, but then uh, 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 Agbana came on and they just defended and Suchak and they're just back there just knocking everything away. They kept on trying to go around West Ham and they just couldn't. They couldn't use their athleticism and their youth to to take players on. And then as the group got together and as West Ham could smell the victory, then that cohesion and that group effort really started to pull together. And you started to almost see that that European night feel. Paqueta got in the game. He was playing off the emotion. He was shithousing. He was rolling around the ground. He was getting on the ball. He was laughing. Paqueta really grew into the game, uh, draws the penalty late. Uh, sorry, is it who drew the penalty? Anyway, late in the game, there's a penalty that uh, Caicedo, who'd come on late to try and change the game in his first moments, he gives up a penalty. And of course, uh, 
uh, Paqueta puts it away and West Ham win 3-1 and and really gives you like this this difference in performance, this this sort of weight of like, we're a group, we're a unit, we play together. You may not like us, but we this is what we do. And then uh, Moyes really kind of, I guess Moyes gets the cement like, a, you keep guys keep wanting to fire me, but I'm my team still plays hard for me. And I really won this game. Uh, standout performances for Chelsea. We're seeing a lot of good Raheem Sterling, a lot of getting on the ball and get, trying to get at people. But that end product when he gets to the byline is still bad. I still think that the best version of Raheem Sterling is him not on the ball, but making those runs in behind where someone finds him, but you've got to give him space so that he can get in behind right now. He's playing Liverpool style, Raheem Sterling 2014 Raheem Sterling, where he would just get past people and just kind of uh, try and create things that way as a winger when really his best role is using his physicality to move the ball through the midfield on a run, but then letting the ball go and trying to get to the back post for someone else to play him in so that he can get those tap-ins that he lived on for City. But as he's at Chelsea, he's on the ball a lot, and his worst skill is is his final ball. And he's he's making the runs, and he's powerful. It was Raheem Sterling who who drew a penalty as well. Sorry, that's why I have to. I brought him up. Raheem Sterling did draw a penalty for Chelsea early in the second half that Fernandez missed. So Enzo Fernandez missed. So Chelsea will feel hard done. Like they probably should have had a draw, but again, the power, the connectivity, the group effort of West Ham showed through in that game, and uh, I give them a lot of credit. So a lot of the narrative, of course, is now Chelsea are winless in their opening two games. Not the end of the world. I don't think it's they're dead in a water or something terrible. But I do think that the narrative of the money they've spent doesn't guarantee anything. I know narrative is money wins, blah, blah, blah. But the fact of the matter is they paid probably 50% more than anyone would have paid. So my joke has been, yes, it's a billion-dollar squad, but it's only got $250 million worth of talent. Uh, Mudrik, just not effective, not able to do anything. He had a chance uh, on a on a volley that he skied. Nothing happened there. Fernandez missed a penalty. He's a new player. Chikomeka was good, but then he went off. He got hurt. The defenses looked okay. I really like what Levi Caldwell's been doing. And then, you know, with, with Sterling, it was weird. Uh, Nicholas Jackson put himself about, had some decent runs and was trying to do things, but he didn't get on the end of anything uh, really that we could write home about. Let me just make sure I've got that right on my friend, Mr. Nicholas Jackson. Uh, Nicholas Jackson, two shots. One really good on a header, high-value shot on 14 that he was not able to put away. Uh, the best chances of the game, but the penalties, obviously, and Jackson's header, along with Bowen, who had a shot saved. Um, but those were really the, uh, the the main opportunities that came up that generated everything. Uh, from a, from a shot-creating action, I would imagine that it was Sterling who created the most. Yep, Sterling and Fernandez clearly the two linchpins that were really trying to get on the ball and create things. And then for West Ham, Jared Bowen and Paqueta makes sense all on four, along with Suchek who are all creating for the great and powerful uh, mighty hammers. But you know, Chelsea 75% possession. That's fine. 700 passes. That's fine. The problem here is only three shots on target need to get more clinical need to get better shots in better positions. It looks good. It feels good but it ain't good.
that's where they are. <laughs> but uh, good game all around. Enjoyed it. Enjoyed it a lot. Uh, on to Anfield and Liverpool. Um, so Liverpool are still a little bit of a work in progress. Um, they gave up an early goal uh, to the great and powerful Bournemouth under, under Andoni Ariola. Uh, former NYCFC player. Uh, so a little bit of trouble there for them. They're still not completely connected. So they get the goal early. And then obviously Liverpool respond uh, from an amazing goal by Luis Diaz on 28. Just a fantastic, fantastic uh, flick up in the air and volleyed in. Liverpool cruising. They get the 1-1. Then Salah on a penalty that he misses. Uh, as <laughs> I really drew it in the corner of the box, literally the worst place to get a penalty. He's in the, the corner of the 18 yard box. He gets touched. He throws himself in the air. It's a penalty. I know, but it didn't feel good. Plus, come on, man. Anyway, uh, but Salah missed, but he did follow up his rebound. Neto gets a save on his line, but you know, what can he do there? Uh, second half. More of the same. Bo Liverpool really turned it back on. And, and I think Bournemouth at that point kind of lost their mojo um Bournemouth were good you know they were doing their regular Bournemouth thing but service was resumed uh aside from the McAllister red on 58 uh kind of galvanized uh Liverpool in a way to to actually defend as a group but it should have never been a red um it was high it was late but I've seen much much worse uh be given nothing <laughs> so McAllister will miss two games unless it gets overturned. Uh, we did get to see Wataru Endu, the new number six for Liverpool, and we'll see how that all works. I still think that Liverpool are a little bit of a work in progress. They're still trying to find their best group. Now, they're going to say to me, oh, we had three expected goals. We'd scored three. But 1.3 expected goals to Bournemouth is a lot for them. They shouldn't really have that much opportunity i think when we remember the best version of liverpool it was an airtight defense that gave up nothing um with allison and van dyke really just shutting everything in the world down and i think that those days are gone and they still have to find the right defensive identity to get them back to where they want to be on offense they're fantastic there's no way that this team's not going to score. There's no way they're not going to put up a two or a three, especially at home. They'll be really hard to beat. They may not lose a game at home, but away from home, they're going to have problems defending. Um, I really like what we've seen from Slobazai. I really like what we've seen from McAllister. Uh, the, the red card aside, I think we'll end up with Endo playing with McAllister and Shobazai as eights because they both really like to get around the pitch and go up and down. And then obviously uh, there's that moves Gakpo hopefully back into the nine spot because I don't like Jota in that Firmino role because he's he's more of a he's more of a goal scorer. He's not a passer or a layer offer or a, or a creator around the box guy. The way Firmino was the magic that knitted all that Mane. And, and Sala together because they kind of didn't want to talk to each other. And it was Firmino in the middle who was like the friend who connects them together. He was really that bridge between them. He was the Jerry to the George and Elaine. I'm going to say Mane was Elaine. Uh, does Sala feel like George? Anyway, whatever the point is, Firmino is this is the Seinfeld who connected them together. Uh, I'm showing my age by making Seinfeld references, but yeah, I, I still wonder where, where they're going to go and how they end up connecting uh, together. Uh, but, you know, I think Liverpool still very much a work in progress. Now, on to 
the mighty seagulls of the South Coast, the undefeated top of the table, Brighton and Hove Albion Seagulls, who defeated the once powerful and lauded Wolves of Wolverhampton uh, easily. They dispatched them 4-1, and it was not close. They kicked the shit out of him. Matuma's goal on 15 is just go on YouTube and watch it. He flies in from like the three-quarter line, goes through half the Wolves players, slots at home. Just fantastic. What am I supposed to do with this guy? I'm in love with him. His hair is insane. He's like Asian Sala. He's incredible. He's incredible. Why everyone is paying $125 million for Caicedo and not buying Matoma, I'll never know. But I'm telling you, Matoma is Mamaena. The guy is unstoppable. He is a machine. Everything goes through him, and he destroys everything in the world. Matoma, uh, let's see here, six goal uh, shot creating actions along with Danny Welbeck and CISO as well. Sally March got two goals. Uh, Purvis Estubian had a goal and an assist from the left back position. Uh, Kateri Matoma also set up one just in, uh, he set up Sally March on his just an incredible performance for one. They stomp wolves into the ground. What United couldn't do Brighton and Hove Albion could do. They go to the Molyneux and eat the wolves dog food and spit it back at them like destroyers of the universe they are the seagulls they are mighty they'll steal your lunch and fly away with it they don't care they're taking no prisoners deserby ball is destruction ball this team all it does is score goals of course of course of course uh wolves did have chances but they can't finish because they're wolves uh and the xg machine says that this game was closer than it was i don't buy it at all i watched it uh, it was not close. Second half, a blitz. Estupian on 46, Sally March on 51 and 55, and the game was over. Um, uh, Han Chan, Huang He Chan did pick up a goal late on 61, but it was more of a consolation. It was a nice goal, if I re recall correctly. But uh, And CISO setting up both Sally Marsh's goals. They just have dudes, and they will come and kick your ass and take your lunch money as per usual. Dahoud came on late. Didn't matter. Billy Gilmore bossed this game from the middle. Caicedo, who? They already had his replacement in Gilmore. Now he has the responsibility. Gross is still their leader. They're still rolling out James Milner because he can play half a game. They're still rolling out Danny Welbeck. Perfect mix of players in their primes in Matoma, who's at 26, that are young in 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 Enciso that are that are older who can help the team along with Welbeck and Gross and James Milner and Dunk just a great mix of players who are over it and ready to go kick ass I love them I love them Wolves um are in trouble but we're going to get to some teams that are really in trouble in 1 minute and that team is Everton Everton are bad. Everton are really bad. Everton are going down. Everton are moving players on. I heard Damari Gray was going to leave. I don't know what Sean Dyche's deal is or that he doesn't want players to score or doesn't care. He needs a little Maverick in his side. Uh, and I don't mean Pete Maverick from Top Gun. He needs someone who creates something out of nothing because this team right now is devoid of anything. Danjuma did come on for them. Uh, Dalman and Calvert-Lewin starts the game, gets his face smashed, 
and Aston Villa licking their wounds after the 5-1 that I anointed uh, Newcastle, the reigning champions. Aston Villa just light. They lit they lit Everton up. Easy game. Um, easy game. No problems. Uh, a walk in a park, really. They showed their force. They showed their power. Uh, and a team that was never going to get into the game. Once the second goal went in, you knew Everton was done. Then they just started making mistakes. Uh, my friend, my favorite whipping boy, how Michael Keane plays in the Premier League is shocking to me. Like, I know he's shit. Every time he plays, he's shit. How come Sean Dyche doesn't know he's shit? Um, why they let Connor Cody go, I don't know. If you remember, in the run-in down the stretch, they went to a back three. Connor Cody played in the middle with Tarkovsky. I don't know what they're doing. It's, unless there's injuries that I don't know about, why Mikalenko is not playing anymore, I don't understand. Did he get hurt? He's better than half the guys on this team. I'm not sure about Dyche anymore. I'm not sure about whether Everton will, will make it. Um, they're making no changes. They're not buying any players. So it's madness to think that this team will stay up just because they have Dyche for longer. That's the reason. I, I'm not sure about that, especially as they continue to lose players and don't really see a path forward. Like, you're just going to rely on Calvert-Lewin? You're not going to get a striker? You're going to think... Uh, Magic Mope is going to come back into it. He's too busy, you know, trying to stoop people's wives and has forgot how to score goals. He hasn't scored a goal in almost a year. A year. That's really bad. And he had another chance today and couldn't put it in. In the first game, they probably should have won if they had had a real striker. I mean, put anyone not Mope there. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm really worried for Everton. Usually teams that go down circle the drain for a few years. They're really taking up that Sunderland stank uh, of a few years ago where they, they kept on changing managers to try and keep themselves in a division. And I could see Dyche going if uh, with 10 games to go or 15 games to go, they think that a change will make a difference just for the sake of changing uh, Al or uh, or or something. Um, I'm not sure. I'm really worried for them. Uh, on the Villa side, McGinn was great. Louise uh, dispatched a penalty that Ali Watkins got. The same penalty that Onana didn't get called for. They called Pickford for. He missed punching. Um, he missed punching Ollie Watkins by a half an inch, but his legs went into him and did take him out. Leon Bailey on a great goal. And then Johnny Duran on a mistake on a, th the, the Bailey goal is a throw in that they, that Everton just switch off on, which is hilarious in the second half. And then the Johnny Duran MLS's Johnny Duran comes in on a, on a, on another throw in mistake that Michael Keane just gets lost on, even though, um, even though it should have never been thrown into him in the first place. Uh, who's What's his name? Uh, oh, that Ashley young who's still playing. That's the only transaction that Everton has made. This team's in trouble. So I had Sheffield, I had Luton and I had Bournemouth going down. I might be wrong. I might be wrong. I think maybe Everton's bad. Maybe Everton's going down. Because at least Bournemouth has a good midfield and has Solanke and has an interesting progressive coach. But uh, Everton, they're really just living on Dyche. Dyche time. That Dyche will keep us up. They're going to move into their new stadium and be in the championship? <laughs> ask, ask Aston Villa how it is in the championship when you think you're supposed to be in the Premier League uh, as a right. You can spend a lot of time down there. And a lot of what uh, Aston Villa grew off of was the big Grealish deal. And Everton does not have a player that they can hang their hat on. They don't have anything. 
Um, but a really good performance, a bounce back performance for Aston Villa. Granted, it was against the great and powerful uh, <laughs> Everton, but um, yeah, I liked what I saw from uh, Unai Emery's men. And I think that they can balance it out. They can go, okay, we were not as bad as Newcastle and we're not as good as this. Where is Aston Villa? I think Aston Villa is still in that six, seven, eight range, and we'll see how they get on with their rest of the season. As for more games, more games, more problems. Uh, Brentford defeat Fulham 3-0. Uh, Embuemo leading the league in goals. Embuemo leading the league in goals. Uh, Fulham looked to be in a little bit of trouble. Tim Ream, I believe, got sent off in this game. I'm going to double check. But uh, they're a little bit in disarray. They have sold Mitrovic to the Saudi league. So he's a, a bye-bye. Yes. Tim Raim saw a second yellow on 64 and Mbwamo scored two goals after that. Wisa putting up the goal to start with. Here's the thing with Brentford. They annihilated <laughs> uh, uh, Fulham putting up an almost four XG and scoring three. Um, they were good without Tony. Wisa and Mbwamo are really, really good. This is a, not a one man team. This is a good, good squad with a really good coach. And as much as I wax lyrical about the great and powerful Brighton, Brentford are the other twin peak of Moneyball teams, both run by gamblers, both in West London, both smaller clubs, both with good local history, but not at this level, and both being run to perfection, to the T, doing the things they need to do in the context of their club, in the context of their structure, in the context of their coach that lets them win the way they are designed to win. Brighton does it one way with great recruitment and forward thinking and front foot football and great recruitment. Brentford does it another way with defensive solidity, um, counterattack and spirit coming from Frank, both reflecting their managers, both perfectly run Cubs. I could see Brentford or Brighton finishing in the top 10. They both did last year, but maybe they'll both be six and seven. Maybe Brighton will be four and Brentford will be six. Uh, I still think Brighton are better uh, just because when you're an offensive team, your highs are a little higher. If you're counterattacking, you've got a little bit of a ceiling unless you're Jose Mourinho, Chelsea with like the players that he wanted exactly in the moment that they were there. But otherwise, I do love what's there. And then again, for Fulham, they do have Marco Silva. Very smart. They did go down a man. Uh, Paulinha did come back. Thank God. Uh, he did get subbed out for Bobby Reed after they were down a goal. But I do like where they are. They have a good goalkeeper. They have Tim Ream. Jop made a huge mistake to give up a goal. Uh, they'll get there, I think. Um, but I am worried without... Mitrovic, where the goals are going to come from, because the back half of last season, they had a lot of problems trying to figure out how to score goals. If you remember down the stretch, they really had a, a dark period there when they sort of got out to a good good start, but then really didn't get too much. Um, they didn't create a lot either. Uh, let's see. Um, Harry Wilson had Harry Wilson had both their shots on target, low value, deep shots that just didn't go in. Uh, otherwise, they really did not create any high-quality chances versus Brentford, who, of course, penalties are worth a million dollars. And Embuemos was like a about as good a goal, about as 100% a goal as you're going to find. So uh, we'll see where they get to. Uh, worried for Fulham, because like I said, their underlying numbers last season, ugh, 
So they need talent, a talent infusion before the window closes. So I think we'll see some action in the window uh, for some of the lower, lower half of the teams, lower half of the division teams uh, will grab those types of guys. And then Friday night's game forest for Sheffield United. Um, you know, this is a bottom attacking team. Uh, I won't eat, but what Sheffield, what Nottingham forest have is a goal scorer who can score goals in Iwonyi. They do have Morgan Gibbs white and Brandon Johnson. They have a trident. They have an attack. Uh, I think if Steve Cooper can let this team go a little bit and sort of let the handbrake off and let them play, I think they're better than the sum of their parts. They play scared a little too often, especially against big teams, especially against Arsenal. I think if they come out a little bit and punch some people in the mouth, they might be better off. Um, they have been fragile in the past where if they give up one goal, they give up four. I think they've largely stomped that out, but they need to keep working on it. And I think that Nottingham Forest will stay up, but others don't. But I just happen to think that they will. Okay. Getting close to the end of the show. Please like, share, and subscribe as I drink a bit of water. Um, some themes that I'm thinking about um, as we get to the end of the show that I want to leave you guys with is just where is the is the juxtaposition between your ambition, where you're expected to go, and where you are, right? United, t- year two of Ten Hag, all the history, thinking they're in a better place than they are. Chelsea, spending a billion dollars, thinking they're better than they are. Spurs, losing Kane, but accepting of where they are and surprised by the changes. Uh, Newcastle in season two, where are we? What's our level now? And I wonder about that a lot with teams and their expectations and their hopes and their dreams and where they're going to go. Because what you decide your narrative is at the start of the season is actually how you determine if you've had a successful season. For City, winning the league, winning the Champions League is about the only two things that'll be a successful season. If they don't win the league and win the FA Cup and the uh, League Cup, that is not a successful season. Um, a semifinal, a final, uh, and and the league or finishing in second would be a failure of a season, frankly. Uh, for Arsenal, it's improving on this season. I don't know if winning the league is the only thing, but I'm sure a bigger push, a steal down the stretch versus a collapse down the stretch would be better for them. Uh, for Spurs, it's continuing to play, continuing to wow and d- dazzle their fans and bring joy to the team and then have some good scalps and finishing the in the top in Europe. For United, it's improvement. It's like, let, can we have a star? Can can somebody, can can Holberg be a, Hoiberg, Hoyland, whatever the fuck his name is. Can he be a star? Can we have something to latch on to? I think, you know, Rashford gave them something. Uh, the season before that or the two seasons before that, it was Fernandez. And then the return of Ronaldo was something to hang their hat on. What can they hang their season on that will lift them so that whether they win the league or not, they can at least have hope and future, right? Uh, they won the League Cup. That's nice. They won something. Maybe they want to win the FA Cup uh, or go deep and see if they can win that. You know, uh, for Liverpool, it's about getting the swagger back. 
seeing that, okay, we're not going to win this year, or maybe we will, but we're winning the year after. Like we're, we're coming, we're, we're getting our gears back. We're getting everything going. We've done our cycle. And now we're going to go to the next level. You know, Mane and Van Dyke will stay and then we'll go again. Uh, and this is the season of consolidation for them and see how they can do. Because uh, they're there, right? There's, there's with, with Liverpool, they've rebuilt the midfield. It's it's rebuilt, right? You know, especially uh, Endo maybe as a stopgap till they find the next replacement. But they have the, the players they want. Maybe they're one off, but I think they'll be happy with Endo. And then they'll see where they go. Maybe there's a replacement for center back uh, to go to the next level. So Liverpool, that's their ambition. Top four, top three, title race, beat City, beat United at home. Great season. Go to the semifinals of the Champions League or Champions League finals or have some good moments in, in Europe. And then for teams like for teams like Brighton, it's continue to grow. Grow your next crop of players. Grow your next $200 million in players from Matoma, from Enciso, from Adingra. What are the ne- what's the next round of guys? Get Ferguson into the team so that in the back half of the season, he's putting in regular performances and phasing Danny Welbeck out and phasing James Milner out as they continue and have their European games and see how they can grow and you know maybe get into a, a knockout round, get into a, a round of 16 in the Europa League and, and try and push and see what Deserby can do and try and hold on to Deserby. I think that's their big thing. It's like the ambition is there that Deserby wants to stay. So I just think about all those things, these narratives that how how things are connected. What what do we do? How do we feel? What's the story? All right. I leave that with you, my friends. My friends. Okay, please like, share, and subscribe to the show. It means everything. Okay, that was the Squeaky Bum Time podcast with Laurent Cortines. We are the football wing of the Chop Sports Channel and presented by the Premier Streaming Network. We are recording on Sundays. So be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you never miss a show. And if you're listening on Apple, please rate and review the show. It makes all the difference in the world. Thank you. And Arsenal Crystal Palace tomorrow. Forgot about that one. <laughs>